let's say you're shopping on a clothing site. Even a millisecond of latency actually translates into revenue lost. Imagine applying that same logic to the voice channel. I need to now listen to you condescendingly telling me that I can go on the website, I can chat for an answer. You're wasting the time between me and your brand and to me connecting and interacting with your brand when I'm expecting instant gratification. Imagine the cost, like the brand damage that's doing. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Deep Learning with Poly AI. My name is Michelle, and I'm here with Nicola, and today we're talking about voice, AI, customer experience, and retail. So retail is an industry that's no stranger to really using their brand as a strategic differentiator, um, which is why the stakes are so high in getting voice right and getting the customer experience right. But they are also uniquely challenged in a lot of different ways in being able to deliver this great experience through voice. So I wanted to just talk about it. Let's talk about some of these challenges, starting with one that we are currently living. So I doubt any retailers will really have the time to be watching a podcast on their industry as we enter into the holiday frenzy. But seasonality is a huge issue for retailers and their ability to deliver a great customer experience, particularly on voice. And before we talk about it, I did want to just show from our own customers' mouth, like their challenges and what they're doing in order to answer this problem. Here's one major brand, Carter's, one that my mom shops at. Like she probably is, she should be a shareholder at this point with how much money she spends at Carter's on my children. But yeah, they, Mike mentioned during our customer event that he was able to reduce hiring by over a hundred people, which helped him deliver more brand consistency, but a hundred people. And this is when I'm imagining what context he's saying this in, it sounds to support seasonality. Like Nicola, like, why is this a challenge? Yeah. In retail, it's one of most seasonal kind of like industries where People do a lot of shopping over the holidays, right? But from Black Friday onwards, it's nearly impossible to get to speak to a stakeholder in retail, right? They are busy as hell. Their volumes jump by a factor of a few times. And this is typically a period that they prepare for the whole year, right? They prepare for it from a technical perspective and more importantly, from a staffing perspective where they'll go and have to hire those people to support them at that time. And the volume is so different that they'll actually, it's, it's like the whole kind of hiring spree and they're all doing it. So it gets really difficult because they're competing for the same pool of labor as other retailers. And these peaks and throughouts are difficult, especially because when you need that surge demand, it tends to cost more. And from COVID onwards, and as, as we've seen these labor shortages get worse and worse, we, we're basically now in a spot where SLAs dip more and more. Mm -hmm. for retailers and they can't have them because these are returns. These are people who might not shop with them again if they yep. have a present in time for picture holiday. But if you're waiting for a Christmas present and it doesn't get there in time and you can't reach them, probably won't be shopping with that same exactly. guy next year, right? So it's uh, hugely impactful and it's an industry where this means a lot and it's not unique in that, but we see our volumes for retail clients more than double something for this period. And wow. If you're not ready for that beep, if you keep stuffing at the same level, or you're just unable to find those people, your SLAs will dip if you're meeting the 90% of the time. You could see them drop to 10% and people in trouble. Yeah. It's interesting. Mike mentioned in his comment that the thing that it helped with 
SLA is obviously top of mind, but was this idea that it was helping to provide consistency. And I think something you said rings very true for retail in in particular. Loyalty is incredibly fragile in retail. The customer loyalty can disappear in, in a matter of seconds if they just have one single bad experience. There was this Forrester quote that said after one negative experience with the brand, the, the consumer is, I think it was something like 20, 25% or something around there, less likely to shop with that brand in the future. That is an incredibly meaningful statistic. And this idea that he's saying we were able to reduce hiring by 100 people, and that helped us improve consistency, yeah. seems at odds with one another. No. Absolutely. And if you think about just the nature of retail and like the different brands, you said your mom is shopping, not necessarily you. And it's, I'm sure you spend a lot of money on your kids as well. So it's, you look at like brands, some of the more digital brands that younger people have flocked to. Amazon does not have voice support, which is why it's got a demographic shift between its populations that is different from, say, a more traditional retailer. So for that more traditional retailer, it becomes even more important to keep that as a competitive edge because it is one, right? Yep. And it's messy and it's hard work. And Amazon went for scale and built a really good system where they're far more likely to just reimburse you or accept something and give you credits than a regular retailer is because they have that scale and ability and they build a process for that. But if you're a more traditional retailer, you really need to do this well. And yeah. if you don't have the stuff or if you bring in untrained stuff, that's the other thing, right? Like you've scrambled. You failed to hire where you were going to hire a month before you're calling another BPO and you're like, hey, I need 50 agents and 100, how much can they give me? They're rubbing their hands. They're quoting you at higher price. You're in between being off budget. You're asking for more money. And then you get a bunch of these agents and they don't know your processes. They don't know anything. They're just been told that they're on the account like a week before it started. So the quality of service dips again, and it's inconsistent because... They're learning on the job that not worked for you through a respectable ramp period. So uh, it just becomes a calamity. And I think when you look at, you're right, no one will watch this right now in retail because uh, we were with a big client yesterday and an EA of a very senior stakeholder told me, hey, this must be important given that we don't take meetings in this period. Sure. Okay, cool. And that's just fact of life in retail. And that's what we like doing because... It's not that they don't want to, they want to remove 110 people. It's really not about that. It's that they've always lived with this problem of surge demand that they've had to solve in clumsy ways. And it's modulated with technology. Like you're able to, the call distribution times are different as well during this period. And if you can do it well, then you're really like have a more consistent workforce and an experience forever. Yeah. It's something else you mentioned and actually I think plays into the consistency issue as well is this idea that, you know, there's a difference between me and my mom, um, you know, a very big difference in how we shop. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, but also like several decades. So, um, you know, this idea that, um, she might shop differently than I, and it also English is a second language for her. Whereas it's a first language for me. And I think this issue of having to just ramp up to 100 plus people on the floor and then train them to your point also changes depending on the diversity of your customer base, the languages they speak, where they want to interact with you, where they prefer to interact with you. And I think this is another major challenge that's 
maybe partially solved by automation, but it's just another interesting thing. Somebody wants to call in and speak to somebody in their native language. Um, it's an it's another challenge that I think retailers have to think about. And then are you investing in somebody who speaks whatever language is that the person wants to talk to? Yeah, yeah this is a big challenge in Europe, especially, right? In the US, you're really dealing with two languages at scale. And then like in Europe, I've been to consumer goods contact centers with support for 20 languages, right? And just like the kind of, they're looking for polyglots, people who speak all the Scandinavian languages, then you're yeah. looking for someone hopefully cover like Southeast Europe across like those five, six small markets. It's, it's really difficult to kind of like playing whack-a-mole. Where's my Hungarian speaker? Yeah. I, Hungarian speaker. Okay. You got to find a Hungarian speaker. Maybe there aren't that many calls, but you need to have that support. So it gets really difficult and they'll typically have multiple locations around Europe to, to deal with this. No, that, and then with seasonality too, it's like you're going it's, it's like, oh, to... Yeah, it's a double explosion of the complexity yeah. of the problem. So it gets really difficult for them to address it. And then what happens? Service levels suffer. And in the end, like bloodshot eyes, you record that message saying, did you know you can do this online? And it will go on repeat. And you're absolutely <laughs> the 10%. People are waiting for half an hour and just listening to Nicole repeating. Did you know you can do most things online? Did you know you can do most things online? Yep. Like where your conviction around never shopping with that brand exactly. reaches you know, levels. To that exact point. So I've worked in the retail industry for, for a long time. And I used to know all of these e-commerce stats like off the back of my hand. And I don't remember this this one, but I know it's one, which is just about the load times on your e-commerce page. Like when the, how fast your the pictures load, the product images, the text, all of that as you scroll through. So let's say you're shopping on a clothing site. Even a millisecond of latency actually translates into revenue lost. Huh. And then you apply that same logic. And like obviously the world's changed. You have content delivery networks. You have things making this faster. It's still a problem and it's still something that, that e-commerce managers track. Imagine applying that same logic to the voice channel. I need to now listen to you condescendingly telling me that I can go on the website. I can chat for an answer. You're wasting the time between me and your brand and to me connecting and interacting with your brand when I'm expecting instant gratification. Imagine yeah. the cost, like the brand damage that's doing. This is yet another challenge. Well, no, it's huge. You, you should not be like, you, you've spent money on something, you're ready for it, and you're there. The airlines are famous for this, right? Outside of retail. And I think people have probably been most like her, but they're waiting times and hold musics. I can dream of the BA one in my, but it, it's uh, PTSD. But no, it's a big problem. They should have a voice assistant. They should have chatbots. They should have everything. Yeah. What's what I always wondered, right, is what the exchange is and how retail currently sees this. Because again, like retail, this is an industry that has been way ahead of other industries in terms of investing in the customer experience, in terms of investing in a unified understanding of their customer and being able to meet them where they are, be omnichannel. They, this was really a pioneering industry for thinking about their consumer and figuring out how they can use technology to meet them. But I always wondered how a brand-obsessed business thinks about AI, thinks about voice assistance, thinks about automation. Is it, a, is it a trade-off? Do they think about this as being a little bit of a brand cost in, in terms of this slightly lessened personal experience of having a human kind of on the phone versus not? And I want to bring up another quote from a, another one of our customers um, because it feels like the way that a lot of retailers are thinking about this problem is that whether it's a brand cost or not, it's worth it 
because you can allow your people, your humans on the team to do more complicated work, to have more of those conversations that are even more meaningful for consumers to have with that brand. Yeah, she's saying basically if AI can handle these high volume and low complexity calls, it's releasing the team to being able to focus on more complicated questions and probably answer those questions better because they have more time because they're not looking at a flashing red light telling them that the queue is like 10 plus people deep. Yeah. So I just think it's. It also comes back to incentives, right? Because you're right. They've invested a lot and there's a lot that can be done digitally. And like people think of like maybe voice and digital and being at odds with each other. They're not. Yeah. Right. Because your agent might not know that they can send a link or maybe they're not very good at the phone number link you should have gotten a link click this it's your shipment let's look at it like we're there immediately right we're like collaborating you're looking at your screen we're changing something they might not know that so they're asking you doing it for you it gets really messy they spend a long time on that call where like a voice assistant program to do explicitly what's like the easier simpler thing that people have often toiled and worked and spend money on technology to do when we do that, like they end up like spending much less time on the call. But generally, like a human might have spent much longer on the call or a worse experience. And sometimes, especially if you have outsourced labor, so it's on your own agents where you don't control the process, paying per, for usage for a BPO, they're not necessarily as incentivized to have a lower average handling time. They're just interested in. in selling you as much labor as possible right? yeah. and that agent ramping and taking longer often. And this is not a retail, retail specific, right? On average, a voice assistant, the same thing as a human will spend 20% less time yeah. doing it because people are slightly less verbose. There's a bit less chit chat. It pulls up a piece of information more quickly. But what we've sometimes been shocked with, especially when we compare average handling times to, to companies that have a mix of in-house and offshore agents is those average handling times are way longer, like sometimes unbelievably long, right? We're talking like seven, eight minutes for something that should take no more than a minute. Totally. Right? And you've been on those calls where you just can tell that whoever's dealing with it is okay, set a piece of information and you hear like the exasperation of someone who's looking for the right screen. Let me put you on hold. They want to ask a tier two agent how to do something. They don't know. Not so the discrepancy in average handling time can be like 5x sometimes. Yeah. So it's back to the incentives, right? Because if you see that happening, it's probably offshore, it's probably an on-ramped agent. They're doing their best, right? It's not nefarious in that they've been told five times long, but you know, they just can't do it well, right? Um, and yeah. the voice assistant really, again, like brings much more consistency into the whole experience and it pays to use. Yep. I think you you said this several podcasts ago, but that voice is the most intuitive interface. And I, I still come back to that all the time, especially when I think about, for example, like when you're in a store and you're shopping and you have a salesperson that's helping you, you're asking them a million questions like, where is this cotton from? What percentage of it is cotton? Like, you know, where is it I've never asked that question. Okay. Well, <laughs> neither have I actually. But let's just pretend that you're the type of person to do that. The more time they take- from Egyptian cotton. Great. Check. What's the thread count? I don't know. People do ask these types no, that was of questions. The thing. Okay. Um, but yeah, the people do ask these types of questions. And in, in person, 
somebody really taking their time with you and connecting with you, time, more time is seen as just a higher degree of patience and this higher degree of like great kind of brand interaction. But given what you said about voice being an intuitive interface, if you think of it as an interface, if you think of it as being like the same way, I'm, I'm trying to shop online. The more time you introduce into the sort of equation, the more friction it feels like I'm having. I'm just trying to get a problem solved, right? I'm not trying to have a great brand interaction about cotton. <laughs> I'm trying to get my answer that or get my problem solved. But I guess one thing that I'm curious about, and I wonder if retailers who are brand obsessed are too, is just when this reaches mass adoption, when AI automation reaches mass adoption, the way email has, for example, is voice from a human going to feel like a handwritten note? Is it going to feel like it's just interrupted the norm and like voice becomes this higher degree of brand expression where it's like, oh, this is a real person. Uh, and that feels special. I, I wonder about that. What do you oh, think? Well, I, th I think there are huge rest on pack there. I think, yeah, a handwritten note is great. It has the right information. And yeah. if, you know, for the right experience, I think to this date, the best contact center I ever visited um, was in London, in a Canary Wharf. I forget the name, but um, they have a number of um, aspiring actors that work there. Uh, they mostly sell wine to the U.S. They all have sommelier degrees of different levels. I don't know much about it, but they were really, these are actors. So their addiction, yeah. charisma, uh, they're good sellers, right? I think most actors, if they wanted to, could probably be very good salespeople. And when you just look at that context, I think it's an experience to be hard to replicate with technology. But it's a good example because if you think about like, sommeliers and like they had to learn a lot right? it's not just that they're good with people yeah. etc they have to learn and that's actually knowledge that's very easily automatable these days with like generative ai where i think based on a few textbooks and conversations about why it's probably going to do more than i it will create a voice assistant i'll be far better at consulting and advising about wine than i ever will Right, so yeah. if you like Primitivo, then Montenegro and Vranets might be a good idea for you, or Zinfandel from Dalmatia might do well as well. This is literally the only like bread sub type of wine I know anything, uh, but it's it's hard to get that level of knowledge. So I think, yeah, if you're buying high end goods, you love high. There's reason that they pop open a bottle of champagne in Cartier when you buy something expensive or something like that because it's just like a premium experience you're buying not just the product but the experience as well um i've always found that interesting between the us and europe right? like the number of times that i've been cajoled into spending far more money in america relative to europe is exactly that like high touch sales experience yeah it's just inherently constant we can't get it into our heads and americans like they're born with this right there's something in the air so i think on the phone it's not very different Right. And yeah. with AI, we, have, we finally have, as of this year, we have the capability to have a consultant, really rich experience. And in retail and in other verticals, attitudes are shifting. There are people we've spoken to that told us they would never implement a voice assistant. Some of them have come back and their clients now. Others just kind of like tick box. I can't be bothered with that peak. I just want you to like do what you can. And that's simple, but it's also less exciting. Because to us, really, it's been like places like hospitality, retail, where we've had the biggest 
successes and most meaningful because these are people whose revenue hinges on that experience. Yep. If you're like improving their SLAs, if you're reducing their wait times, if the experience is more consistent, the story very quickly stops being, oh, I have a slightly more efficient operation. It becomes power projection. Yep. Because Carter's has that experience and second breath that would be comparable. Well, they have, they have a meaningful competitive advantage and symbols for most industries, really. Yeah, agree. So we talked a little bit about the fact that this rich experience, like this sort of high touch, consultative, flexible, like human kind of experience is finally available now. But what do you think it's going to be like? What do you think the opportunities are for the future of kind of AI and voice for retail? Like, what do we think is going to be around in two years? For example, we've got this trend now of hyper-personalization. Yeah. How do you see voice playing into that? Yeah, well, if you think about, especially, let's go back to our, what are our favorite clients here, right? Like, we don't have something like this yet, but it's yeah. something that we could do, yeah. which is, let's say that I bought something for my daughter, right? Who was nine months old. And then I call back and I say, I need a different size. Cross-reference the day from our last interaction. When I might have mentioned how old she is, or we actually have clothing size. She's in the 99th percentile, but she's a Serbian baby. So maybe we just go forward by two sizes, wherever it was. And then yeah. I remember that in a conversation. Yeah. Just think of a brand where they go, whoa, something I like. It's yeah. the highest touch experience possible. It's like you're speaking to a friend who knows how old your child is and they're yeah. different size or no, just simple things like it's girls clothes, it's whatever. I, I think it's like, the other thing is just like knowing who's calling. Well, sure. then, to use myself as a very simple example, I think about 50% of my winter wardrobe is jumpers from John Lewis. I've been buying the same type for I think the last six years because I'm a very primitive man. And I don't have sophisticated <laughs> fashion sense. So when I'm not wearing a poly Patagonia, I'm wearing like a jumper from John Lewis. And that's a very easy sell for me. If I could call and just be like, hey, I need two more. I'll do a gray and a red this time. Yep. You know who I am. You know exactly. where I am. Whoa, do you still live at this postcode? Yeah, I do that. That's, that's cool. Okay, thanks. Bye. Here's 200 pounds. Totally. Right. Well, right. I'd love that. It would be like. Yeah, exactly. It's interesting. The example that you gave of personalization, that first one with your daughter is a predictive example. Like what's personalized to you is the anticipation of what you're trying to buy. And then that second one is the more traditional, hey, I know who you are. I know what your preferences are. And I'm going to ask you about them. going to see if I can just get you. And I mean, than I do. But if we come back to what data conversational AI can provide to a marketing stack, yep. then in six months, I'm due for a different set of ads. Yeah. And I don't know how you know, but you know who I am and when I'm on the Totally. Board. Like, it's time to show me three-year-old mini Range Rover toys or whatever, right? <laughs> Yeah. The thing that I find most exciting about conversational AI and retail and the sort of like future of customer experience data is that the voice channel was really never part of this unified CX story. It really wasn't. You might have an agent that's seeing a pop-up that's saying, hey, this person actually put up in a ticket about that John Lewis sweater and they don't like this one anymore, just so that this person might be calling about that. But it's really like up to the agent to read that, to interpret it, to make sense of it, and to turn Report it. Report on it. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. But I think it's about to get a lot more interesting with the introduction of conversational AI and automated conversations that you can mine 
the same way you'd mine any other channel, stitch and, it together. I mean, and absolutely. And just, just think about like issues operationally, but returns and stuff. It's like, hey, it turns out that a lot of people who ordered size nine yep. struggle. So yeah. maybe the size nine is slightly different from others. Yeah. And maybe we add a note on the website for that product. Sure. And maybe you change suppliers because that size nine, there's something defective. Or you're just off and you should just rename those sizes. I don't know. But <laughs> like you figure that out and you take out like 10% of your shoe returns. Yeah. That's like really powerful. That's an operational improvement and satisfaction boost. I completely agree. I think, and, and then to tie it into not just like what's predictive about the problem that you're calling in about or the product that you're calling in about, but these ideas that you can give a personal incentive to someone based off of not just their history, but what you think they're calling about, what you think their problem is, and what you know tends to happen next. So there's this concept in retail data, that, like this predictive concept of the next best action. And it was like made famous by this one company that probably everybody knows. But the idea that somebody calls in about something, what are they most likely to do next? If you understand that somebody who calls in about a size nine thing is most likely to return and then churn and not come back to your brand, what can you do right in that moment while you have them on the phone to make sure that doesn't happen, to make sure that you turn this negative opportunity or so that this negative experience into an opportunity? And I think that's the beauty of the future of this space and why voice AI is so important. Like you start that transformation now so you're ready to be competitive when this really starts to be the future. It's just another way to leverage your brand as a competitive asset. And I mean, like it's the other thing is just also like, you think of like the volume of calls that someone with a few hundred agents gets, right? And they're busy. They don't really have time to ask and be consultative sometimes, or they don't know how, or they don't have a place where they store that information. But if you're driving sentiment throughout the interaction, oh, yes. they're angry about this, or they're unsatisfied about, hey, this new red that you've introduced is different from the previous one. And I didn't know. Yeah. Whatever. Or the model changed slightly. Shoot. I don't know. It's less comfortable for me than it used to be like that's all like stuff that you have in there and listening to you talk about the website and how attracting where they're spending attention and stuff wait that's like really difficult it's like parsing very implicit signals when you could just ask hey is it is it like true power? is it the shape true. is it like you could get that information back and you could request this information back from your contact center Ooh. Love you, that. You have you almost use the contact center as a data collection thing. Ah, that's the, that's yeah. dream. Yeah. Include it into the flywheel. Love that. Well, we are at time. And so I think to all retailers, like good luck in this season. It looks like it's gearing up to be a gigantic one based off of Black Friday numbers. But yeah, it's been great speaking with you, Nicola. Looking forward to our next one. 